You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento, and I'm, I'm, I can't believe it, but, you know, Doug's not with us. Uh, he's, I, what was it, parole hearing? Or, um, yeah, yeah, I believe yeah. so. They finally yeah. caught him. They finally got him, yeah. But it's uh, Bring Your Son to Work Day. So I have Keenan with us. Uh, always, always very exciting for the viewers when Keenan goes gets in the B chair and uh, takes over for one of us. So Keenan, welcome to the show. It's nice to see you in front of the camera for a change. How is this going to work? How are you going to make sure that the show is not a train wreck while you're on it with us? <laughs> uh, the magic of editing, post production. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's cool. That's cool. And you've got your finger on the button in case I say something stupid. Yep, there's those seven words I think Carlin said you're not allowed to say, so I've got that list, you know, um, taped up yeah. here. So we'll keep it straight great, and honest. I have a great T-shirt of George Carlin's mug shots I wear sometimes when I go out, and people have randomly stopped me, maybe like a half dozen occasions, and said, who is that? I say, it's George Carlin. George Carlin got arrested, and I, I tell everyone, like, the whole story. They wish they never opened their mouths. They get the I didn't whole know story. he got arrested. I mean, yep, I, I knew it was his comedy. Yep, he uh, he was told not to say the seven words on stage in his bit, and he did it. And oh, so, really, for that bit, wow! Cops came up. I think it was in Texas, and arrested him. And he refused to uh, to go down. And the ACLU got involved. All kinds of people got involved. But I mean, you you think about the state of comedy now, right? Um, what you can, what people say. You know, I you know I, I I'm in front of a lot of comedy. I do comedy still. And um, the idea that just those seven words could have gotten someone arrested. And then before him, like Lenny Bruce, I think a couple times a month got got rounded up and thrown in jail. Wow. So um, talk about growth. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Georgie. We're, uh, we're here to tell everyone about the excitement, exciting things that are going on in global trade. And boy, do we have some today. I'm keeping Keenan uh, from first period, which I think today is what, AP history? Is that what you've got, Keenan? That's right. I'm missing it. Yeah. Truancy. Yeah, it's okay. I'll write you a note. Um, so since I opened the show, Keenan, do you want to do your topic first today? Absolutely. Um, okay. Many of you out there have probably noticed, but we are in the middle of winter storms across the U.S. So along with that comes your uh, normal things like school closures, but for transportation that also impacts road and uh, airplanes. So roads close down, traffic gets rerouted, um, Planes get pushed back, uh, canceled entirely. Um, I was reading that uh, as of yesterday, yesterday, I think 2,700 flights um, got delayed. Uh, no, 2,700 flight, 2, flights got canceled. 7,000 got delayed. So think about all the people and all the cargo that goes on those. Um, anecdotally, here in Colorado, I know there's been highway closures and rerouting of uh, people that takes you know, something that should take an hour or two is now taking seven or eight. So those sorts of things really add up for us as individuals and then also for um, trade and transportation as a whole. Um, and it's it's pretty intensive. You know, we've had a, a, a slow start. Pete and I were just talking beforehand. This winter has been a little slow, especially for um, snow enthusiasts trying to use the snow on the mountains. It's been a little slow, but now it's coming back with a vengeance. And now all of a sudden we're getting multiple feet of snow zero degree weather in some places, negative 30 degree weather in some places. So uh, yeah, pendulum swung a little bit too far. Uh, so 
winter sports enthusiasts can enjoy it if they can. But a lot of us are dealing with kids no longer in school, roads closed, flights canceled, and uh, all that impacts our personal lives as well as the transportation system. So I know we see a lot of this stuff at CAP as we're trying to help companies stay up and running and move things um, when the normal plans have broken. Um, I don't know if your personal plans and flying have changed or if you're seeing anything on this or just experiencing the bitter cold, which I know is your favorite season here. Well, my flights have been just terrorized by the weather. Um, last week, I flew to Milwaukee. I left on Sunday in the middle of a storm. My first flight was canceled. My second flight was canceled. They rerouted me through um, Washington. But I ended up having eight hours of flight delays. And then I got to Milwaukee at 1 a.m. And there wasn't anyone to work the ramp. So we sat on the plane for an hour and um, waited for someone to get us off the plane. So I didn't get to my hotel till 2 o'clock in the morning. And then I had to be up for calls at seven. It was, it was, um, oh, it, was it was pretty brutal. Yeah. So, um, today it's snowing like, uh, you know, to beat the band out there and I'm flying to Seattle. So I assure you, Keenan, there, there will be some comeuppance today. I've had just delay after delay, cancellation after cancellation. I, I cannot remember a winter that has been this bad. Um, it may be in my career. I've, I've yet to have a flight since November that didn't have some kind of a delay. Um, and it, you're right, it, it, it wreaks havoc on logistics. Now, I'm not a ground guy, you know, Doug's a ground guy, um, but I know that there are parts of the country that become impassable when when the weather gets bad enough and their their main arteries for over the road transportation. And it can cause a lot of delays getting equipment from one place to another. It's a real problem. Um, and then, of course, you know, with with these this, these weather problems, you have port delays. You have issues getting getting um, pilots in and out of where they need to go. Uh, that's also an issue of uh, harbor pilots, that is. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those things about our business that people tend to forget is we are susceptible to weather, which is generally out of our control. Customers don't care. So it, com it comes up with us trying to find creative solutions for dealing with this. A lot of that is just having a long, wise history of knowing what might work instead. Absolutely. And sometimes there are compounding impacts where, um, you know, sometimes we'll be moving things for um, airline operators as well as power generation. And so not only is the weather impacting, oh, this transformer is now overloaded because the Texas infrastructure isn't meant for negative weather for this long and all this, and now they need new parts, but then you have to get the new parts there and the roads are all iced up and the planes aren't going. So it just, it can get bad and can uh, escalate quickly. So everyone stay safe out there, do your best, and uh, let's, let's keep things moving um, as smoothly as we can. As we can, sure. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do everything we can. But one more thing I'll say about that, Keenan. If it's not snow, it's typhoons. If it's not typhoons, it's hurricanes. If it's not hurricanes, it's uh, volcanoes. You know, there always seems to be some environmental event every year that really puts a snare in things. And welcome to winters. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, my first topic, you know, for a while now, I've been talking about how I saw a number of dominoes that would fall on each other to, for lack of a better term, term, execute what I see as a correction in the global economy. And the first one is evident, so I was, I was waiting for, which is a precipitous drop in home sales, followed by a precipitous drop in home values. In the state of Massachusetts, as an example, in the Commonwealth, pardon me, they get really annoyed in Virginia and in, yeah, um, in Massachusetts. There has been a 25% uh, drop in prices 
in uh, median home sales for the cost over the same time last year. That's going to be the case for your bigger, more popular places. Austin, Texas is a great example. San Francisco, Los Angeles, you're going to see a significant decrease in the value of medium, median home sales, not the top end, you know, where, where is, uh, where's Johnny Depp buying his next $6 million condo, but in the types of homes that people like us are looking to buy, that's going to be exacerbated by a drop in interest rates. So when those interest rates come, believe it or not, people are going to start to wait. They're going to see that they're dropping and they're going to wait. So it, it could actually compound on itself. Seeing as how homes are the largest investment class in the United States that individuals are going to own, that's problematic. People are going to wait for interest rates to come down before they put their house up for sale, and it's going to have a knock-on effect. So that's the first step in what I see as a, a long-range problem that will take about three years to fix in the global economy, and it's happening here now. So I've been saying it was going to happen. It's happening. What does that have to do with trade? Real simple. When people are not liquid, when they've ramped up all the credit card debt and other debts that they can ramp up, consumer spending will drop as well. So we should see this reflected in consumer spending at some point at the end of Q2 and the beginning of Q3. Not a very good time for that. Not there ever is, um, but it's going to have a compounding effect. Wow. I've definitely been hearing secondhand as friends and people are looking at um, buying mm -hmm. houses or just at the market that the the rate of sales has dropped precipitously, but it kind of seemed for a while, everyone was like, no, it's not going down. I'm still going to hold out and sell this house at the same price I expected to, even if it takes three times, four times as long as normal to sell. But now it's actually kind of breaking down. 25% is significant for something like a home price. So um, in major markets, that's, that's big. And you brought up a good point I hadn't thought of, but that is interesting about how once people see the rates are going down, they might wait and then that just further causes prices to go down. So some people in the audience might be happy if they're looking to buy a home, um, but for a lot of people um, and then the overall economy to your point, um, there's gonna be a lot of value and wealth um, disappearing or the, the feeling of wealth disappearing and that will impact consumption. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And what makes matters worse, in my opinion, Keenan, is all the people that have bought homes as investments, they're going to find that those investments aren't going to have the same fruit. Second of all, people that have taken loans out against their homes that are going to find that now the value has gone down dramatically and maybe they're underwater on a home that they were flush on not even six months ago. Wow. wow. We never seem to learn from this, man. We never seem to learn from this. Economics is a dismal science, but it's a... Tell me about it. It's one we have to pay attention to. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that brings us to halftime, Keenan. You want to do the halftime? Hey, it's bring your son to work day. So before I get you a new juice box and some golden grams, you uh, you want to tell everybody about halftime? Sure. So halftime is brought to you by Cap Logistics. Um, we are happy to be here talking about global trade and transportation. And halftime is an opportunity for us to talk about things that maybe sometimes correlate, but uh, are a little bit off uh, the beaten path a little bit more. Um, Many of you may have heard, and I'll start off here today, breaking the news that uh, the SEC has approved all of the 11 Bitcoin ETFs, or what they're calling ETPs, uh, exchange-traded products. Um, so BlackRock is now officially in the, the Bitcoin game. You know, they have about half a billion dollars worth uh, over... 11,000 Bitcoin. So they have surpassed Michael Saylor and the MicroStrategy type holders. Um, and this is a big deal. 
the price hasn't really moved. It's actually gone down a little bit. This to me reminds me of the, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news type of situation. Um, so people have been talking about this for a while. There was actually even an incident last week. I don't know if you saw this where someone hacked the SEC Twitter account, said the ETFs got approved and then the price spiked up and some con artists, I don't know where they were from. Um, just going to guess East, Eastern Europe just because that's where I associate most random hacks, but it could be from anywhere. Um, they probably made a lot of money, but then that kind of also like tampered down people's expectations when a day or two later, they actually did announce that they have been approved. And so on one hand, this is uh, good for Bitcoin, where now there's larger amounts of capital, institutional investors um, that can now put money into these uh, uh, assets without directly holding them and worrying about custody. So there's a lot more money flow there. However, there's part of the whole ethos of um, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically where why would you trust someone else to hold it, right? Like it's, if it's not your keys, it's not your crypto. So I understand why people would do something like that. There's tax incentives. You have all sorts of money in institutional um, ways and you want to diversify, get exposure and different things. And now there's going to be 11 or more different options for people to do that. So overall, I think it's good for Bitcoin, even if there hasn't been uh, too much um, price action up right now. People kind of price that in and then... Um, we do have a halvening coming up in the spring. So I feel like it was a little bit choppy with volata volatility over this, but it's not too dramatic up or down. Um, but we probably will see, uh, this is not financial advice, uh, price increases in this next quarter or two as the halvening approaches. And there's just less Bitcoin to go around, more money chasing after fewer assets. Well, I'm going to start all of my comments on Bitcoin, as I always do, by saying it's stupid. Um, <laughs> It's a scam. I hope you guys like your beanie babies and your um, your your tulips. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to talk about when I saw this. First of all, the hack. It was all over Twitter that this was a hack, and then someone took a picture from the SEC's website saying the only place to go to for real, honest truth, you know, news about what's going on with the SEC is the SEC website and its social media. I'm like, well, yeah, we did that. And somebody yep. hacked it, you know, you knuckleheads, you donkeys. So that that kills me. And then the fact that something you would think would be just Fort Knox for digital security. Somebody, like you said, you know, probably some some guy in a beanie at a coffee shop somewhere in Odessa just totally racked the brains of everyone around him. Uh, second of all, the thing I really wanted to mention about these, you know, the ETFs and all the rest of it is now we have um, legitimized people's foolish economic decisions. Again, not investment advice. I wish I would have bought Bitcoin. What was that, a dollar a pop or whatever it was? Sure. And, and uh, you know, I'd be a gazillionaire right now. But in, in the end, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda, I wish I would have bought more baseball cards in, you know, 1986 too. But this is, to me, it's another excellent illustration of how crazy the market has gone. There will be Someday, man, I hope I live to see it. There, there will be a comeuppance. I'm waiting for someone to just jump out digitally and say, surprise, we made it all up. You know, we've got it all. We're going to close it all up. And I understand, it's, you know, it's, it's all in these different digital wallets and it's so incredibly divested digitally. Don't care. Something in there is going to screw somebody, bud. And I, I'm here for it. So I'm here for it. I'm here for it. 
the the biggest two things I see that could give you what you want are either one quantum computers come out and then mm -hmm. the cryptographic security that Bitcoin is based on is just no longer relevant because of orders of magnitude, more processing power that then they could mm -hmm. institute a 51% attack, right? So if you, if you control over 50% of the mining capacity, then you could change shit, change the ledger of who owns what, um, and then make, make it say whatever you want and then make money, crash it, all that sort of stuff. Um, the other thing being uh, the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto or moving of that original wealth of the founder of Bitcoin and the author of the, the white paper. Um, there was an interesting uh, event last week. Maybe you saw this too, if you were aware of the hack. Did you see that someone sent about 1.2 million US dollars worth of Bitcoin to Satoshi Nakamoto, one of the largest and wealthiest uh, uh, wallets of Bitcoin in the world. Hmm. Um, the idea is, and I don't know this for sure, but the rumors are that the CIA or um, the IRS or some group is trying to fish out the identity of the original Satoshi Nakamoto. And they're probably not going to get him to actually act, but they're going to make them in um, no longer legal compliance of, oh, you received $1.2 million and you didn't report that or you didn't do whatever. And then they're going to try to like use that as legal justification yeah. to maybe try to take over that. I don't think the protocol works that way, but very interesting, mysterious. It's not known who sent $1.2 million to the richest Bitcoin holder in the world, um, but it's probably some sort of information fishing game. Well, I uh, I can't wait till they find out that it was the Chinese government or North Korea. That ah. um, and uh, you know this 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 idea that there's someone sitting on all this crap. It's just Keenan. It blows me away. It's it's the latest get rich quick scheme that will it will end up falling on itself. They will they will find a way. I mean, I believe I believe that either the first or second largest holder of Bitcoin is the U.S. government because of all the seizures. Yeah, with the Silk Road type stuff, they've sold some. Um, they definitely have a lot. They have a lot more now because they didn't sell it right away. And it's gone up in price since they originally got Ross Ulbricht in jail. Um, but that was also a messy thing. It's an interesting book if you ever want to read American Kingpin was the story of Ross Ulbricht and, and all that. And um, apparently the government officials were very tempted along the way. So there's a lot of corruption and stealing of Bitcoin throughout this whole process of taking down a very illegal black market um, network there. Um, yeah, we'll see, you know, I mean, yeah, we all wish we would have bought more um, back in the day, but who knows, maybe your libertarian streaks might end up appreciating it where um, there's a limited amount of it compared to governments and incentives of just printing more and more beyond the 1%, 2% inflation that's targeted by central banks, because we definitely have seen higher inflation than that over the last couple of years in the Western world. And in other countries where there's been worse stability, places like Venezuela, there's been insanely higher inflation. Um, so it might be something that investors are choosing to, to use as a hedge or, um, you know, just in case. Can I hold it? Can I put it in my hand? Sure. In the event of a complete and total knockdown of the internet, am I able to still hand people? Well, if, if the entire yeah. internet goes down, you might not be able to trade it for very much. Um, but people can hold little little uh, cards of it, and that's that's oh, some something card, people will say. do. Yeah, a card. I'm, I'm sure that has inherent value. The same amount, the same physical amount of gold in 1950 will still buy you the same size house in 2024. So, I mean, gold's pretty impressive. You gotta, well, gold's you pretty admit. impressive. Yeah. yeah. The funny thing about it is I don't have to worry about some digital ledger 
and some some you know weenie somewhere in St. Petersburg who's running the whole thing. Sorry, dude. Like I, it's it's like the Easter Bunny. I'm glad everybody is is in Santa Claus. Good for you. You know, I'm I'm happy for you. But if I can't put it in a safe, not for me, baby. It's just that's just how I am. So I've been a big believer in in uh, specie. I'll continue to be that way. Gold, silver, platinum. Bring yeah. it on, baby. Inflationary. Fan of, fan of those two. Maybe I'm not old enough, but don't tell me it's not real yet. Let me have this. <laughs> you know, your mom and I want to sit down and have a chat with you. About your you see, sometimes parents lie. Anyway, uh, I have to get to my second. Uh, I live here in New Hampshire. I'm actually, sadly, this may be the last time I do Global Trade This Week from New Hampshire. I, I would turn my computer around to have everyone see all the boxes everywhere. But uh, I, um, I will still... Legally, I believe, be a resident of the Granite State. We're working on that. Um, but I will be a Virginian very soon here and uh, back in D.C. But we have the presidential primary election happening next Tuesday. However, yesterday was the caucus for Iowa. And funniest thing happened. My daughter called me and said, Dad, it's a caucus. My daughter does not care about politics. She does not care at all. And I had I found myself explaining to her what a caucus was. And she said, well, then really, what's the difference between that and a primary vote? And I said, well, they're huge. You know, people people all come together and then each individual candidate has a representative who stumps for them, gives speeches, answers some questions as best that they can. And then the people in the room cast a straw poll, you know, an independent anonymous ballot to determine who wins that particular, you know, the particular county. And uh, it's not all that much different in a regular primary vote. And the difference being that everyone is present and that everyone has an opportunity to cast a ballot based on being swayed by the things that are said there. Now, I don't know in 2024 if anybody's swayed by the person who's in the room. I'm sure there are people who are. Uh, but it's a interesting thing for someone in, like me from New Hampshire. A lot of New England still has town meetings. So where I used to live when we had the farm out in Mason, there were, I think, 500 people in the whole town, and we would get together once a month, one man, one woman, one vote. So they would bring something up. The town council would make decisions on what came up for a vote, but then we would vote one man, one woman. And it was, you know, the purest form was beautiful New England democracy. It also turned into a real monkey circus sometimes when people would do and say crazy things. Uh, President Trump won the Republican Iowa caucuses, really not a shock to anyone. The shock was that DeSantis was able to take number two, a very slim margin over Nikki DeSantis, or Nikki um, Haley. And uh, our good friend Vivek Ramswani has decided that he is leaving the race and did so with a flourishing, beautiful love letter to Donald Trump while he did it. So caucuses, man, I mean, that's, it's an interesting idea, right? Everyone's there, everyone's present, but you don't see who voted. You get to have some back and forth with the people that are there representing the candidates. Um, an antiquated, but in my mind, charming way of looking at democracy. Absolutely, and it seemed like it went off last night. I didn't follow it too closely or stay up, but I know people were worried about the weather. Is that gonna keep people from getting out? But people yeah, braved so the cold and got out there, it looked like. Um, yeah. yeah. Interesting where we're in a, a situation where there's, you know, two dominant people and then these other kind of smaller people that don't really have a lot of chance, but they're doing it. Um, maybe people yeah. like Vivek, I know I've heard some people think they've been, he's been trying to gun for a VP position. Not sure if that's in Trump's best interest, but it is a way of 
politicians or business people to get national exposure, even if they don't really get more than a percent or two. Um, but it's an important part of our democracy and uh, it's happening. So um, yeah. good question by your daughter. I guess people yeah. are becoming interested as it's coming up here. And uh, um, there are differences of, you know, what is a primary? What is a caucus? How does how does this impact me? Are we going to have Biden again? Or are we going to have Trump again? What's going on? Is Trump even allowed to be on there? Right. Well, that'll be an interesting story with Supreme Court type situations. The latest I heard on that was some other state, I'm blanking now, tried to remove him and then that got shut down. So I'm not sure if that that campaign has inertia anymore if you've seen anything like that on the east coast it's still trust me i'm on the east coast they'll do it they'll do human sacrifices whatever it takes you know but the uh <laughs> the thing I, I really do love about new hampshire in the primary and why it's such an interesting thing about being here is if you want to meet anyone that's running it's really easy i mean it's super easy you can there are almost every night there's someone who's at a coffee or someone who's announcing they're going to be at a diner somewhere if there's anybody running for anything on practically any party, you're able to meet them face to face. In most instances, you'll get an opportunity to ask them your question. Wow. So um, it's something that I, I've kind of taken for granted while I've been here. You know, I, I was interested in um, Tulsi Gabbard. I had an opportunity to meet, meet with her. She answered questions, she answered my questions. She was very kind about it. I can remember being younger and having dinner um, with my parents. And then on the other side of the restaurant was Walter Mondale and you know, it's just, it's one of these things where I don't see that happening in a big state like California or Texas, but it does happen here. And it's in, and we're really awful voters in New Hampshire. You know, we're very much, we're like Iowa, you know, we want to see the candidates. We want to actually get in touch with them. Uh, and then your comment about the weather in Iowa, you need to always remember these people are farmers and farmers are going to stubbornly get in their car and they're going to drive where they've got to go. Weather be damned, there's work to be done. Um, That's right. Really endearing thing about the Midwest. Uh, so anyway, that was halftime from your friends at Cap Logistics. To learn more, check them out at caplogistics.com. And uh, with that, we'll go on to our final two topics, which are in a strange way intertwined. Yeah, so they're both kind of connected here. Um, I guess I could go first since I did the first one last time. But uh, recently started reading The Economist again. And one <gasps> story, I know, I know. Um, yeah, took a took a little break there, but back to reading it. Um, one story that caught my eye uh, was the new era of global sea power. So obviously, and you'll get into more with uh, the Middle East and uh, the Red Sea, but around the world from um, China and Taiwan, different situations, um, there's kind of a, a, a new era of what ocean power looks like, you know, even with uh, protectionist government activities around the world, it's still been mostly open trade and free trade and international trade has been happening. And the oceans are a major part of that. Yes, we see some on airplanes, but the vast majority of weight goes by boat. And um, you definitely need to have safe areas in order to do that. Um, some interesting things I saw in this article that I hadn't quite considered before. Um, we've been seeing, you know, UAVs flying um, and having that asymmetric type of uh, guerrilla warfare where maybe some Houthis can send a $300 drone and then America needs to send a $2 million missile to knock it down. And like, how sustainable is that going to last? You know, it's very asymmetric, but there's also these uncrewed surface vehicles. So kind of mm -hmm. thinking about um, just like a drone boat that may be explosive or have some other intelligence gathering or armaments of some sort on there. Um, 
and how that's a, a really different ball game compared to international ocean rules that were really designed for ships with a captain and there's all these rules on, and you know better than I do, um, what maritime law says you have to do to save people and all these. What I've been reading is that doesn't quite uh, affect unmanned vehicles the same way. Like yeah. the laws just never really thought about this and technology has been outpacing the laws very quickly. So we're in kind of a new world era and some of the old things that haven't been used as much are now being used. And then there's also this need or... Um, uh, strategic advantage to have some of these newer things. Um, also wanted to give a shout out uh, to Japan and their new, I think it's Taigei class submarine. Yeah, Taigei class. Um, it's a really awesome looking submarine. It's a diesel electric. So while America does have probably the best submarines with nuclear yeah, Not um, probably. Power, we do. <laughs> probably. Yes, we do. Um <clears throat> my second favorite one would be Japan's having this diesel electric where they can operate quietly and it's like new design. So um, I'll probably find a video to throw in here of uh, Japan's new badass uh, submarines. time yeah it's an interesting overall just a uh, new era where um whether it's the middle east or china and taiwan um the oceans are going to be pretty key for major conflicts and or trade um using trade as a part of the conflicts where i mean if china decides to not just land invade taiwan but they were to you know do a severe blockade um it's a little tougher to fight against and you need um you need a Navy to do that. And so oh, yeah. countries are investing in their navies, thinking about their navies. If they haven't been investing in them, it's, it's a big deal. Um, so I kind of threw a lot out there. It's kind of a general topic, but um, it's on the mind of the economist. It's on my mind this morning. And I'd love to hear your take on it. Always on my mind. Uh, first of all, shout out to my college roommate who is um, no longer serving in the Navy. He retired after a very wonderful career, but he was actually a plank owner, which means he was one of the first sailors on board the maiden voyages of the USS Laboon, which if you've been following the news, that is one of the destroyers that's been out there keeping mariners safe. So I wanted to mention that specifically. I'm very proud of him and his service, very proud of the Laboon and the sailors that are on it now. This topic is, right, when you go to Merchant Marine Academy, you end up getting inundated with information about this. We had a college professor named Dean Mayhew. He wasn't a dean, that was his first name, Dean Mayhew. He eventually would become a dean. But Dean Mayhew, we called him Bucko. And Bucko taught naval history and maritime history at the academy. And you did not sleep in his class. He was captivating. The guy would come to class dressed up as an admiral from the you know 18th century. He was absolutely bad -o. but he was wonderful. And one of the first lessons that really stuck with me was the Great White Fleet. So I had to look it up on Google real quick here, but Teddy Roosevelt in 1907, 1906, I believe, sent out a flotilla of America's new Navy, these beautiful white ships, you know, these gorgeous ships and all the support behind them. It's 14,000 sailors. They covered like 43,000 nautical miles, just going around the world saying, we have a saltwater Navy and we intend to protect commerce. 
So America not only can produce products, America can only consume products, but we can protect the exportation and importation of our trade. And it was a, it was a defining moment for us as a country. The second part of that is I, I implore any listener of this show to put an hour and a half of your week aside, go on Apple TV and watch Greyhound. Greyhound is a film that's done by Tom Hanks. It came out a few years ago and it is a absolutely thrilling nonstop edge of your seat film about uh, a convoy going from the U.S. to Great Britain during World War II and Tom Hanks as part of the U.S. Navy and their escorts dealing with the German U-boat threat. U-boats, submarines are are the terror of the seas at times of war. And it's an incredible film that shows just how many men lost their lives crossing the ocean. As a matter of per capita, no one died more than the U.S. Merchant Marine, not the Marine Corps, not the Army, not the Air Force, no one. Absolutely no one. And unlike those people in those services, it was quite common for someone to get back on those ships seven or eight or nine times after being sunk over and over and over again. Another fabulous film, Steel Boats, Iron Men, goes into the firsthand accounts of these men that crossed the ocean and were sunk over and over again. The ability for a nation to project naval power, first and foremost, sticks us in a position where we can take one of our aircraft carriers, a technology that is yet to be yet to be uh, duplicated by any of our enemies. Sure, they have catapults, but they're not like ours. Um, and they're unable to take off the heavy aircraft with long, longer range than we have and allow us to really just rain hell on anybody that we're not real happy with. But the ability for us to keep these lanes safe and to ensure that cargo can move from place to place is being put in question right now by a lot of maritime experts. Yes, it's totally asymmetrical in its warfare, a $2,000 drone against a $2 million missile. When you're talking about millions of dollars of cargo and the assurance to the market that that cargo is safe, you really can't overcome the importance of it. There's a new class of vessels that's coming out that is mostly you know, run by wire, lots of um, missiles in the back, and they just wait to attack based off of very high technology um, weapon systems. And people are wondering, is this a movement towards a more drone-like fleet somewhere in the future? I would say that as long as there are threats at sea, there will be sailors. As long as there are sailors, American sailors, there will be uh, safety at sea. And that's, a, that's patriotic. And of course, it's a little bit of my hubris. But at the same time, don't screw with the U.S. Navy. And uh, a lot of the world is learning that right now. So, I mean, my topic will get into this in a minute. But you know, what you bring up, Keenan, is so important. Uh, the Chinese have built a hell of a Navy, but it's mostly for dealing with Taiwan and for close to shore deployments. They don't have much of a, of a blue water Navy and most of what they've got has been sent to the Middle East and they haven't really been involved in executing any sort of defense of traffic. We'll see if that changes as more Chinese ships go by. We had another attack an hour ago, um, unfortunately. So it's, it's just not stopping. It's not ending. And it's gonna take strong navies from around the world to ensure the safety of our commerce at sea. Oh, and one more thing I'll say. The uh, the head of the nuclear engineering program at Electric Boat is also one of my classmates, Richard Slack. Uh, there isn't a sub that goes out of there without his okay. And uh, we don't maybe have the best submarines in the world. No one comes even close. That's why I, I don't worry too, too much about the Chinese Navy because they would just be sunk in watery graves in about 20 minutes. Granted, I misspoke. We do have the best. And yeah. I think more so than maybe the last couple decades, submarines are going to become more important as, yes, our aircraft carriers are impressive, but you can see them 
yeah. people don't know where our submarines are. And that's a strategic advantage that, uh, um, we have that not many other nations have. I think, you know, some Australia's or some countries are working with a couple other producers, but nothing like what the U.S. has and um, submarines are a big part of it. So thank you for your insights there. And uh, yeah. yeah, get all charged up about it. But the, uh, you know, the final topic for this week is really hand in hand with that. And that is marine casualty insurance. There was a report that came out in G Captain yesterday that it was really a fraction of the value. And now it's one, two percent at this point. So it's getting to be where it is financially uncomfortable to move for war risk um, in that particular part of the area. And as insurers become less and less comfortable with allowing people to move it, that's when people that are committing these acts are going to win. So when there's, there's really nothing that the Navy can do, there's nothing that that a government can do to really bring comfort to ship owners and to the merchant mariners on board that they've got a safe passage. And then the ship owners themselves saying, not only am I going to deal with loss of life, with these very important mariners, I might lose my ship and I may not be able to afford the correct insurance to deal with it. This is a real turning point. When you continue to see that insurance escalate based on the number of attacks, it's math, man. The more attacks that happen, the more ships that are subject to them, the more where a missile sneaks through and actually does do some damage, the more likely it's going to be that insurance are going to say, we're just not going to insure your vessels anymore. Uh, we talked about this a few months ago when this first started happening, when, when the Red Sea was at risk and the Houthis were, were at risk. And, and um, now, you know, you've got Hezbollah in Lebanon, they'll be able to actually attack on both sides. And that's a terrifying thought. So I am, um, you know, I I'd said I saw this impacting during our, our um, premonition show. I'm going to stick by that. I think that if these attacks continue and we're unable to get our arms around it, you may see the insurance company saying, we're simply just not going to insure your vessels anymore. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, there are some merchant ships still going through, but yes. not nearly as many. Like with the charts I've been seeing, there's a lot of ships going around Africa. Um, and that has inherent costs you guys have discussed already with time and um, uh, fuel. Um, but they're not doing that for no reason. They've been right. making those individual risk calculations. And it makes sense that that would be uh, reflected in the insurance availability and prices of that insurance. And yeah, I mean, even if it is asymmetric, one Navy is way stronger than these little drones or missiles. Um, a couple percentage points on a lot of goods adds up. And that risk of a catastrophic complete loss um, is driving driving those costs going up. So, yeah, uh, really interesting. I don't see, I don't know what the future holds for this, but it is uh, definitely a happening. Yeah, I, I can't stress enough how important Twitter has been to me honestly, these past couple of weeks where so many people, you know, folks that comment on maritime issues have been showing us vessels that are going through, explaining how the flotillas are working, talking about sea strategy to keep these people safe. It's been a real education for me. And um, I, I went to sea, I've been on ships, and I can tell you that there's, there's enough going wrong. You don't need somebody shooting at you on top of it. So that that definitely skews the calculus towards do not want to get on the water uh, pretty quick. And yeah, you'd mentioned how there's a lot of vessels going around the Cape. It adds more time and it costs more. The thing I keep saying whenever I talk to folks is it really hasn't affected capacity yet. I think when it impacts capacity, then the prices will be even higher. But so far, they've been able to keep capacity in line with what people want. It's just been an increase in cost because of operations and fuel, which is good for the carriers in the end. 
Well, I'm sure it's something we'll definitely be continuing to watch um, as the the weeks go by here. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Listen, well, you know, before you sign us out, I just, you know, I, I really hope the court went well today for Doug. Um, yeah. I hope everything worked out. We're kidding. Doug, Doug is on assignment. He's working today. He's, I don't know if he's in California or not, but he was unable to join us today, but what would the Could have been the be? weather? There's been a lot of snow and ice. He uh, was planning on this morning, so it might have been some unintended uh, weather results, actually. Well, uh, we're looking forward to having him back. So, and I'm I'm sad to say that uh, it'll no longer be a live free or die podcast. Um, I guess I'll have to figure out what the motto of Virginia is. Probably something like "Wear your pink shorts and drink champagne." I'll figure it out. I don't know. Yeah, Virginia sounds nice, though, and I'm sure you'll you'll it learn is. and bring some of that new culture um, along with it. So uh, sorry to hear about all the moving of boxes. Godspeed. Good luck. You got this, even if it is a, a winter storm out there. So, well, Keenan, I'm a job creator, so I hire people to do this. There we go. There we go. I'm not the economy to depends on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, take us out, buddy. All right. Well, thanks for having me join here today. And thanks to all of you listening and staying tuned, keeping up to date with Global Trade This Week, brought to you by Cap Logistics. I am Keenan signing off here with Pete Minto and have a great day and a great week. Peace. See ya.